in the book of 1 Peter and uh, it will be challenging I know I'm sure <laughs> just want to pray God's blessing on Graham as he shares with us father we thank you for the gift that you've given to us the many gifts you've given to us in teaching in this church thank you for those who've been part of this program and have sessions to come we particularly thank you this morning for Graham who's prepared these words before you and with you to share with us and pray you will anoint him by your Holy Spirit that the words that he shares will be words not just spoken by Graham but words spoken by you amen okay. good morning how are you all doing good Excellent. Um, so, we're speaking in Peter, and uh, I'd like to read to you from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, which is um, quite near the end of your Bible, if you want to look it up and uh, follow it with me. I don't know if it's going to be on the back. Um, so, 1 Peter chapter 1, and reading into an incy-wincy bit of uh, chapter 2. It is insy-wincy, by the way, and not itsy-bitsy, just for those of you who watch children's television. Um, okay, the spider is insy-wincy, not itsy-bitsy. Let's, let's just be clear about that. It is a British spider, and it's insy-wincy, okay? Can we be clear on this? This is, this is a, an important cultural point. Itsy-bitsy lives somewhere else. Insy-wincy is in Britain. Is that clear? Good. All right. So, anyway, it's an incy-wincy little piece at the end there. Uh, is that controversial? We need, a, we need an interpretation of that word. Do you not know about incy-wincy spider? Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, apparently in America, another spider apparently also did the water spout attempt uh, several times, but it's a completely different spider. Okay, so just so we know. Right. Those of you with children know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Thank you. Thank you, the parents who are going, we know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. In, in, in future times, all these things will become clear to you, ladies and gentlemen, and the importance of the American itsy-bitsy and the British insy-wincy will be clear. Anyway, that's com complete diversion from First Peter, but hopefully you've now managed to find the passage. And it reads like this. Now, I'm reading in the New International Version, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have not been born again of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring work of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached for you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we're going to talk about 
obeying the truth. And obeying the truth linked to loving one another. We know the Great Commission, or some of you will know the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, in which Jesus says this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Teaching people to obey everything that God has commanded. That's a challenge, isn't it? Everything. Mark's already pointed out. That's very definitely a work in progress. But it's still the point. So we've been looking, we've been looking at holiness for a few weeks now. This is about resembling God, that we resemble God in His holiness and His purity. But we also need to resemble God in His love, in the way He loves. And this is the thing, in the Bible, spiritual love and obedience to God's Word are linked. They are not separated. Now, here's the useful thing for us if we don't do that, is we can define love according to what we want it to be, as opposed to what the Bible says. And that's always the useful thing for separating our lives from God's Word, because then, well, there are no fixed points, and we can decide for ourselves for things to be exactly how it is going to be convenient for us. That's not how it works with God's Word. God's Word is a fixed point. What it means is, of course, a challenge, but God's Word is a fixed point. And once that's in place, our job is to line up for that. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, that's what Jesus said when He walked on the earth. This is what the Apostle John says decades later, because he was there when Jesus said that. And he says this again in the second book of John, very near when John dies. He says, and this is love that we walk in obedience to His commands. As you have heard from the beginning, His command is that we walk in love. Now, this is love born of God, or more correctly, love born again of God. And now again, I would say, there's a thing here that works like this. There's two kinds of sources for love. One is from us and is not of God. And one is from God and is different. The old love, remember what Peter said, one is born of what perishes and the other is born of what doesn't. One is eternal one carries on. Old love. Old love is born from insecurity. We all need to be loved. We start at the beginning as little babies, and we cry until we get what we want. And then when we feel mildly uncomfortable, we cry again until we get what we want. And we don't stop crying until somebody does something which satisfies us. I would really like to think that that behavior stops with babies. <laughs> yeah. 
But I'm afraid it doesn't. Because, you see, non-spiritual love is driven from a place of insecurity. The need is the driver. One of the things the Bible teaches us, but to be honest, psychologists centuries later discovered the same thing, that as human beings, we are not really able to be unconditional in our love. That deep down, whether we own it or not, there's always a motive that's kind of good for us as well. Because we don't really get past the baby stage of needing. We just, we just get better at negotiating. <laughs> and I don't mean that to put any of us down. It, it's, it's our nature. It's how we are. We are not that pure. Really, we're not. It's, it's okay, by the way because Jesus died and rose again, and we can have some. But let's be clear that love, which is unspiritual, is born of insecurity. It has conditions. It's reciprocal. We, we, we struggle. You see, and I, don't, I don't want to knock things, right? but even, even when we are sacrificial, we enjoy the certain sense of our own goodness as a result, don't we? You know, do you know what I mean? We're, we're rubbish at this. And I'm certainly not standing myself up as an example. I'm really poor, I have to say. But, you know, we, that's, our, that's love. It's generated. It's earned. It needs to be regenerated. It has big implications. I mean, think when it's not received. When we think we should receive and we don't get what we think we should get. Okay, so I know that some people learn as they get older to put a poker face on how disgruntled they are that they didn't get what they thought they should get, but Peter outlines it, doesn't he? He gives us a nice list. He goes, all right, well, get rid of all the malice and the deceit and the slander. Get rid of all the envy. You know, what happens when we don't get? This is human love. Human love is connected to a whole range of other things. It's not spiritual. And that's an interesting point. But new love, spiritual love that comes from Jesus, is not born of insecurity, but born of salvation. It's not born out of, will it ever happen? If I don't make enough fuss, I'm going to miss out. It's born the other way around, that the Father knows our needs even before we ask. It's a different kind, isn't it? It's not reciprocal. God loves us whether we love him back or not. It's a different kind of love. It comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from the world. It's different. It's love in for love out. It comes from Jesus. It's an act of will, not an act of insecurity or based on need. It's sacrificial and it's serving, even if it gets nothing back. It doesn't have conditions. But it is a condition. So in other words, God's love is a condition. You can't be spiritual and not love. But it isn't that self-seeking. It isn't reciprocal. It's a different kind. Does that make sense? Call to something different. This is what 
Jesus says, or John says about Jesus, says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So if we do what Jesus commands. A man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is lying. That's strong words, isn't it? Quite strong words. And the truth is not in him, but anyone who obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. There's the challenge. Jesus said the same though, didn't he? He said, whoever wants to follow me has to take up their cross and follow. There is a similarity. We have to do what Jesus did. And that's an interesting thing. So here's the starting point. The truth is God's Word. Do you believe that? The truth is God's Word. Now that's a challenge. I just want to put a little side issue here because people get confused. So I want to just shift this. Because you see, in the first book of the, the, the Gospel of John, the first chapter, it says, in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus. So Jesus is the Word. But this is the Word. But Jesus is the Word. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And God's Word is so. Link, book, Jesus, Jesus' book. How do we link that? Well, it works like this. You see, people get confused, and it's understandable, because they think that Jesus came into existence in sort of 4 BC, in a stable in Bethlehem. And then his word lasted 30 plus years, and then that was it. And that's not the case. You see, Jesus was there at the foundation of the world. The word that is Jesus was the word that was spoken that meant that when there was no light, there became light. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. So, Jesus' passage in earth is a little verbal interlude in the ongoing Word. So Jesus' Word starts before creation and ends, well, it doesn't end. And in the middle of that, I'm saying the middle, you know, speculatively, it probably isn't exactly, but in the middle of that, Jesus was born and physically spoke words to people. So he spent from eternity speaking in, then was physical and spoke out, and then ascended and carries on speaking. Does that make sense? God's Word is never-ending. So therefore, what we read in the Old Testament is as much Jesus' Word and command as what we read in the Gospels, which is as much Jesus' command as what we read in the, the letters afterwards. Does that follow? It's not three different people talking. You know what I mean? It doesn't go, God unconnected, then Jesus, then mostly Paul. 
It, it, that's, that's not the Bible. The word is this, Jesus, uh, then Jesus, and after that, Jesus. Does that make sense? We don't disconnect. And Jesus said this. So what does Jesus say? He says this. It's in John 7. He says, my teaching is not my own. I only speak what I've been commanded to say. So when Jesus came, he came with word from God. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. He said, because I've come, I'm paraphrasing here, the law is not abolished. That's the Old Testament. The law is fulfilled, but it's not abolished. So everything which are God's standards in the Old Testament were decreed by the same Jesus who then fulfilled it. How did that work? Let me explain. Works like this. God sets a standard. He does it because it does us good for there to be a standard. We can't live without one. We end up making up our own minds and making a mess. I would give you an example, but just look round you. Okay? So God sets that. We can't attain it. And because we can't attain it, we are condemning ourselves to death. God doesn't need to do that. We can do it ourselves. That's the law. That's helpful. That gives us an anchor. But it doesn't give us a way to salvation or to eternity. So Jesus comes. And instead of us paying the price for our failure, Jesus pays the price for our failure. And if we enter into that word, then institutes a covenant that we can live in. And that covenant doesn't change any of the old law, but it does provide us a means to get in. Now, sometimes the old law is quite scary. But to be honest, if you listen to Jesus, the new one is pretty awful too. You know, murder is a bad thing. Please don't do it. I'm not being exceptional here, but most of us have resisted that. Don't be so angry that you'd happily kill somebody. That's Jesus' law. Well, a few less of us have managed to resist that one. But as far as Jesus is concerned, one is murder, the other is. That's scary, isn't it? But the law has not changed. So when we believe truth, we obey Jesus. If we obey Jesus, we are capable of loving. And there are several ways of doing that. And I suppose the key one is this. If you don't know how bad you are, you can't love somebody else who's bad. Because in our earthly love, we become reciprocal. So we eventually like, we love people like us. Now, if the impression we have of ourselves is false, because we think we're better than we are, becomes very difficult to love in truth, doesn't it? And that's an interesting thing. Anyway, here's the question. If that's how the Bible is, if that's God's Word, do you believe it? Does it have that authority? 
because the only truth that we have is in this. It's interesting that there's a Dutch group called the Western Bible Foundation. I don't know if you came across them, but they, they published a letter in which they said, we, have, we are in the process and we're taking advance orders of a Bible that we believe is a lot more convenient. Because you see, what we've done with this Bible is we've taken out all the bits that really we don't like. We've got rid of them. You know, because frankly, who does these things? So we've just got taken them out. You know, you can't, you know, give a tenth. You know, if, you, if you've got somebody else's property and you've had it for 50 years in your family, you're not going to give it back, are you? I mean, like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take it out. You know, we, we don't stand up for things on the basis of... Anyway, there was outrage. Can you imagine? If that was here, would you object? There was outrage. This group, it was fantastic. Because they then said, well, actually... It's a hoax. But looking around at the church in Holland, and they were saying Holland, couldn't apply here, could it? Anyway, looking around at the church in Holland, they said, we might as well take the pieces out for all that anybody is doing about them. And that's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Do we obey God's Word? Because if we don't know His Word, it's difficult to obey it. And I find that quite an interesting one. Do you know what the Bible says? Do you read your Bible? Because if you don't know what it says, it's going to be difficult to obey it. And here's the challenge with this, is if what you know of the Bible is what other people tell you of the Bible, then what you'll end up believing what the Bible says will end up being really quite distorted. I know this is a bit of a strange thing to say standing at the front here, but you know when people tell you about the Bible, don't trust anybody. <laughs> I'm being really serious here, that the person who reveals the Bible to you properly is the Holy Spirit. Now, I can give you an opinion. I work quite hard for it to be a reasonably well-considered opinion. And so we are careful about inviting other people to stand here that they also will hopefully give you a carefully considered opinion. But at the end of the day, this is God's Word, and He's quite capable of speaking for Himself. And the instruction is that you read it, and the Holy Spirit gives you revelation. That's the remarkable thing about it. And if you don't do that, you, all you've got are other people's opinions. Now, some people give their opinions in books. Some people give their opinions on talks online. Some people speak at the front of your church. But they are, at the end of the day, just people. The Holy Spirit can speak for Himself, but only if you let Him. Let the Bible speak for itself. If we pick and choose, we create. So here's the thing. If we don't know His Word, we can't obey it. If we don't believe His Word, then we're refusing to obey it. But worse than both of those is if we pick and choose the bits we do and we don't, what we're actually doing is creating a false image of God. And we do this. Think about this. Now, you watch the media do this all the time, and it's a game they play. But I will, in the course of this you know, short 
talk, um, give you quite a few sentences. If you choose to pick a part of a sentence out and then say, you said that, then you're misquoting me. You're not misquoting me because I did say that, but I didn't say it in isolation. So you, what you're doing is you're creating a false image of me. You're making me out to be something I'm not by taking only a bit of what I've said and creating an image around it. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you do that with the Bible, you're doing the same thing. You're creating a false image of God because God is the whole, not the convenient bits or equally the unpopular bits. He's both and all. John Farron, our brother, was sharing that last week, that there is, was it last week, the week before? Two weeks. Two weeks ago. About, you know, we've got to take the entirety. We can't, we can't just pick and choose. That's good. Okay. So, so far, so good. Here's the, here's the thing. So, nothing, and this is biblical, nothing outside of God's love can last. Everything else passes away. It's sad that the good things pass. It's a relief when the bad things pass, but nothing lasts. My mother always used to tell us when we were kids, she said, it says in the Bible, and it came to pass. Um, and, and being from a Scottish household, she was particularly referring to the nice things. Um, but, uh, I'm joking, actually, she wasn't, but, um, uh, it's, but everything passes, nothing stays, nothing lasts. If we put our trust in things, they won't carry on. Whether it's political systems, our own abilities and capabilities, our sense of our own eternity, the, the belief that somehow we've got it all right, and every generation believes that it's the most enlightened generation compared to the last ones. It's funny how that happens. The next generation is going to look back on this generation and marvel at how they could get it so incredibly wrong. Whereas we are just overwhelmed by their incredible credibility right now, aren't we? Ah, that's a relief. Okay, so do you know what I'm saying though? It, it passes, but God's Word is eternal. So having, what we try to do is we try to have a foot in both camps. And here's the thing. The reconciliation that comes, so we are called to be reconciled to God. Does that make sense? Now, I just want you to work this. This is not a two-way reconciliation, okay, because we can work this both ways and only one works. So the first one is, I stand still and it's up to God and His Word to reconcile itself to me. And where it doesn't fit, God's wrong. Now, I would like to say that you wouldn't hear that teaching in a church, but I am sad to say that you will. I hope you don't ever hear that in this church. <laughs> You're not going to hear it from me. You see, the deal is the other way around. When we meet with God, when we read His Word, and we don't like what it says, we are wrong. 
We have to reconcile ourselves to God, not the other way around. Does that make sense? I know that that's not popular in some quarters, but that is the scriptural truth. Now, if that's the case, then we can be safe because, you see, God keeps His promises. Everybody else tells other things, don't they? So, insurance companies, um, politicians, the media, marketing will make us all sorts of promises. And here's the fantastic thing. They make the promises, and when they go wrong, somehow we blame God. You see, God never promised that you don't get sick. God has never promised that. God has never promised that you won't suffer loss. God has never promised that. But when it happens, we somehow get cross with God because He hasn't fulfilled something that He never promised in the first place. Somebody else created that, but He gets the blame. But God never relates on His promises, ever. He doesn't make promises. He doesn't keep. And we are deceiving ourselves into thinking that the life that we want or think we need is the life that we are entitled to. We are trying to reconcile God. See, I thank you, God. I know about your plan for me. I've written it. Would you like to see it? And then when it doesn't work, we don't go, well, I'm cross with you, God, because you're not sticking to the plan. Whose plan? Do you know what I'm saying? So it works like that. So here the thing is, what Peter says is, is stop doing that. Be reconciled the other way around. And instead of that, crave what is spiritual. And that's the only thing I want to ask you to do, is to start craving the spiritual. Crave is a strong word. Have you ever had a craving? Looking at the pregnant ladies. <laughs> you ever had a craving? Well, to be honest, I've never been pregnant, but I have craved. I've wanted so much that it's hurt. You ever, you ever been like that? I've craved. Have I craved? Spirit? What do people crave for? I mean, all sorts of superficial things sometimes. They crave holidays. They crave the next round of a particular TV series. People crave drink. People crave food. People crave nicotine. People crave um, comfort. People secretly crave other people's hurt and downfall. No one in here, obviously, but people do. People crave praise from others and recognition. People crave acknowledgement and to feel important. People crave love and security and purpose. People crave relief and rest. People crave lots of things. What do you crave? What do you crave? Because you see, at the end of the day, what is it that we should be craving? Do you want to be right with God? Because that's the thing to get craving about. You see, everything else passes. 
Everything else goes. Nothing else will keep you going. Our security is in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus. Our well-being is in Jesus. Our importance is in Jesus. We should know the Father is proud of us. And therefore our desire is just to please Him. If we love others because we don't have, that doesn't help us, does it? If we love others because of craving, we're not loving spiritually. We love others not because we need anything. We love others because we love others. We love others because we see that Jesus loves others. We don't want what they have. We don't want to be who they are. We don't need them to be different. We don't even need them to like us. We don't need them to do what we want for us to love them. Our craving is elsewhere. We want to know God's Word. We want to spend time with Jesus. We want to worship. We want to serve. We want to share the gospel. That's our cravings. We're sold out. We want spiritual gifts, not to elevate ourselves, but to bring glory to God. The truth is Jesus. Jesus can save us from our sins and our failings. He can provide our freedom, our identity, our security, and our future. He can deliver a life that's going somewhere instead of just consuming everything. He can give us strength, spiritual life, new insight. So if Jesus says that, let's obey his commands. Love one another. Don't judge. Don't worry. No, stop. Don't worry. Stop. Don't worry. Be peacemakers. Take up your cross. Those are the challenges. Do we crave them? Do we crave them? That's the challenge. Would you let go of what you currently crave to take up that? That's what we're called to, ladies and gentlemen. The world has no answers for life. <clears throat> All it has is false compensation. <clears throat> what we have is the spirit of truth and the words of eternal life. If we are not hungry for them, we can't expect people outside to be hungry for them. So crave, ladies and gentlemen, crave. If you feel you've got something you need to let go of, get some prayer today. If you've got something that you need to reconcile yourself to God with, get some prayer today. If you need a new direction, a new identity, a new security, get some prayer today. Let's pray now. Father God, we want to be reconciled to you. Our desire is to be like Jesus. We know that quite often we're not. We know that we get deceived. We know that sometimes our motives aren't good. But we also know that you can give us everything we need. Lord, we feel challenged sometimes when what we want won't meet our need, but it does meet our craving. Lord, we want to crave the right things. We want to be spiritual. We want to be powerful. We want to be like Jesus. Lord, fill us up by your Holy Spirit and teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.